Amen. Thanks, Ryan. And thank you guys for coming out. It's great to see you. I hope you guys are enjoying the slower pace of the, uh, the, the summer. But we kind of felt like, man, three, four months, that's a long time to go without seeing each other. We want to give ourselves a few opportunities to come together, to gather around God's Word, to gather together in fellowship. And that's what we want to do tonight here in the middle of June, where we are only three days away from Father's Day. And we've got a lot of fathers in the room, so we're kind of like, yeah, Father's Day. I'm going to get to hopefully put my feet up, watch the U.S. Open, if you're like me, uh, you know, and, and enjoy some time. And that's a fun day to think about, but we're, when you do ministry like I do, sometimes you see things from a little, you get to be on the different side of things. Uh, when you're doing ministry, there's a lot of things that you get to be a part of more often than other people, like the, the birth of a child. You know, I'm at the hospital uh, on a somewhat frequent basis with somebody, praising God with them as they bring a, a child into the world, or weddings. I'm probably going to go to a lot more weddings uh, this year than you are. Um, because that's what I do. I'm probably going to do more weddings this year than you're going to attend. That's just something that comes with ministry. But the other thing is, I'm probably involved a lot more with funerals than you are. So as Father's Day rolls around, one thing I think about is those people that I've been a part of the funeral this year for their father. And so this day, as they think about Father's Day, they're going to think about the father that's not there anymore. And even when you think about those funerals, when you a part of a funeral for a godly man. I mean, there are a few things really in ministry that are more special to be a part of than that. When there's a man who the life that he lived points everybody to God and he's left behind a, a, a legacy. Often in his family of people that love the Lord or just his testimony speaks so clearly and there's no doubt about where he is or what he's doing now. It's so confident, it's so obvious that he is with the Lord. What I want us to do tonight is let's project forward to that day for all of us. Let's project forward to our own funeral. Don't we want that for us to be a time that it has one of those special moments where it's, man, this was a godly man. His life points everybody to the Lord, to the gospel. The legacy that he has left behind speaks to his faithfulness. It is clear where he is now. I would hope if you're here, if you're coming out on a Thursday night uh, to thrive, I would hope that you'd raise your hand and say, that's what I want. I, that's how I want my funeral to be. Well, the question I want us to really deal with tonight is, how do we get there? What can we do now on this side of things to get us to that day where everything about our life would point people to God. How can we truly be a godly man? What is that guide to godliness? And it brings us to what we're going to do this summer. As I thought through, hey, what should we study? Really, I tried to evaluate, well, what do I think is the biggest need for us to really think about that here at Thriver, just for the people of this church? And it really came down to our relationship with the Word of God. Because there is no way that we're going to get to that point of being a godly man, a godly husband, a godly father, unless we have a strong connection, a strong relationship with God's word. And so that's why what we're going to do this summer is we're going to, each time we gather, we're going to be opening up the Bible to Psalm 119. So please take your Bibles now and do just that. Let's open up to Psalm 119 and we're going to look at the second section Tonight, Psalm 119, you may know, is the longest chapter in the Bible. It's the longest psalm. And what it is, it's an acrostic poem. There's 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. Uh, if 
you have an ESV like mine, you kind of see different headings where you see Psalm 119, and then you see Aleph, and then eight verses later you see Beit, and then Gimel, Dalit, Hey, Vav, Zion, and, and so on. And what happens is, so let's look at our section, verses 9 through 16. It says Beit, or Beth, you might see there in your English Bible, over that every one of those eight verses starts with that letter in Hebrew. So it's, it's a poem, that's how it's structured. But what is it all about? It all comes back to God's word. God's statutes, his testimonies, his ways. That's the theme of the whole thing. And what I want us to do tonight is to look at verses 9 through 16. So look along as I read those. It says, How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord, teach me your statutes. With my lips, I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. As we look at that, I think we're gonna, it's going to give us very clear direction on what kind of relationship with God's word is it going to take to be that godly man that I would hope we all want to be. And, and if you look there at the first few verses, it seems like there's this theme of guarding against sin, saying, I don't want to wander from your commandments. I've stored up your word in my heart because I don't want to sin against you. I want to guard my way. I want to keep it pure. Uh, that's kind of the, the theme. And the thing is, if our goal is this, this pure way that is talked about there, if our goal is godliness, it's not just going to happen. We need to defend ourselves. So point number one, I want us to think about this for a while. You need to step up your defense. If we're going to be a godly life, we need to defend ourselves with God's word. Now, preaching, it helps to have illustrations and when I'm thinking of illustrations, inevitably, it always comes back to sports. Now, normally I'm preaching to a mixed audience, and my wife will kind of, you know, give me some nudges or some looks, and I know, okay, I can't talk about sports all the time when I'm talking to men and women, but I'm hoping tonight it's like a little more comfortable. It's like, hey, I can throw out a sports illustration, and guys are going to be tracking with me. Because when we think about defense, we all know that defense wins championships. That if you can stop the other team, you've got a great Shot of winning. And if you're thinking, well, hey, the Golden State Warriors, it seems like they kind of won because they have this awesome offense. Well, think about this. The last three years, they've had the first, the fourth, and the second best defense in the NBA. That's pretty good. In fact, the one year they didn't win the championship the last three years was the year they had the worst defense. Defense wins championships. And think about some of the players they have. I mean, imagine being guarded by Kevin Durant. How are you going to get a shot off against that, this guy that's like seven foot tall and fast as anybody. How, well, how are you going to get around that? In fact, after they won, President Obama texted Kevin Durant, specifically praising his defense, even though he was scoring 30 plus points a game. So it, it was defense that's going to get teams to where they need to be for glory. Well, it's defense, according to God's word, that's going to get us where we want to be before we go to, to glory. It's going to get us to the godly place that we want to be. Even there, look at verse 9. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it. There's going to be defense that is necessary. You've got to have a security system around you to 
defend yourself. Now, why is that? Well, it's because we are under attack. We're not just going to go through life and, hey, everything's going to be nice. Everything's going to be fine. No, we are going to be constantly bombarded. And it says there, hey, young, how can a young man keep his way pure? Now, a lot of us in the room, I think, hey, I'm not a young whippersnapper anymore. You look at the back table, that's the newlywed group, and you're like, hey, there's the young guys. They they should be uh, listening to this. But if you think about it, I'd say probably a bigger percentage of this room, hey, it's still kind of before halftime, or you're, you're right about halftime of what your projected lifespan would be, which is now close to 80 years. Hopefully, you've still got just as much of life coming as you've already spent. I think there's still time for us to think through our ways. And there are certain temptations that are indigenous to young men. That I think most people in this room are really going to fit into that category. Consider 2 Timothy 2.22, where Paul tells Timothy, a young man, so flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. So he he talks about youthful passions. Passion is the word that's used to describe kind of these youthful sins that Timothy needs to guard himself against. Well, what are those youthful passions? Well, even just the word passion uh, evokes a certain temptation, the temptation of lust. And let's be real, amongst young men, and we could drop young from that, amongst men, that's a temptation of epidemic proportions. We are under attack. We feel that. You can't turn on the TV. You can't turn on your computer. You can't walk around. You can't go to the beach without temptation is bombarding you. Even if you're not trying to find it, it's trying to find you. And the world and the devil, they're trying to get you, and they have an ally in your flesh. Even though your spirit has been renewed, that you still have a flesh that is going to crave after certain things. That's certainly a youthful temptation that we need to guard against, a youthful passion. But if you really look at that verse in 2 Timothy in context, what he then goes on to warn Timothy against is, hey, hey Timothy, don't be the guy that gets into an argument easily. Don't be somebody that's known for getting in fights and and, and quarrels. Don't be kind of this young, hot-headed, know-it-all guy that's that's always arguing. And isn't that true? Another temptation that's indigenous for young men, that we can't be quick to anger, quick to quarrel, that we can have a short fuse and get riled up so fast, And, and even just experiencing a lot of what goes on at this church and being a part of a lot of counseling and we think about, hey, what does it take to be a godly husband, a godly father? I'd say there's a lot of problems caused in homes at this church by men who are too quick to get angry. Angry with their wife, angry with their kids, angry with their boss, angry with their coworker. That's certainly a temptation that men are going to deal with. Well, what are we going to do? It's like we're, we're go, it feels like we're going up against the Golden State Warriors. How are we going to stop that? How are we going to play defense against that? Well, it's saying the word is our defense. When sometimes it feels like we're playing whack-a-mole with, with temptation, where it's just popping up everywhere. Well, the word is what we're going to use to address that problem and, and send temptation away. Now, how are we going to do that? Let's keep working our way through our passage. Look at verse 10 now. It says, with my whole heart, I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. Uh, he says, with my whole 
heart. Lots of times, that's the problem right there. Is we can't truly say, man, my whole heart is together in following God. Because if we're honest, we're saying, man, my heart is divided. But five different times throughout Psalm 119, he calls out to God. And sometimes he's saying, I'm doing this. Sometimes it's kind of like, hey, God, help me. Unite my heart. Give me a whole heart that wants to follow you. Some of you, that's the question you've got to kind of look in the mirror and ask, am I really following God with my whole heart? Or am I just half in this? Which the Bible is going to make clear, half in this is not in this. Are you truly committed to following Christ? Have you given your life to him? But then notice it says, with my whole heart, I seek you. A lot of it talks about I'm seeking your word, I'm seeking your commandments. Here he says, with my whole heart, I seek you. Here's the thing, you can't pursue godliness without pursuing God. You're not going to attain this godly character that we're shooting for unless your heart is consumed by a passion for God himself. To know him, to love him, to worship him, to serve him. That's got to be the passion of your life. When you fight against sin, you got to fight fire with fire. You got to have a greater desire in your heart to follow God for him, to know him, than you do for the sin in your life. And then when he goes on to say, let me not wander from your commandments. I mean, sense the longing in that. He's saying, God, I want to follow you with all my heart. Please don't let me wander from your commandments. Now, why does he care so much about that? Just because he wants to be a goody two-shoes? Just because he wants to have a, you know, a clean sheet? Just because he wants to, uh, you know, everybody to think of him as a godly guy? No, you get the sense that the reason he doesn't want to wander from his commandments is because he knows when I wander from your commandments, I'm really wandering from you. And that's the last place that I want to be. He wants to be close to God, and he knows obeying God, staying close to his commandments is going to help him do that. And disobeying God is going to create distance between him and God, which is the last thing that he wants. Now, we need to be clear, especially as we understand the whole Bible, it's impossible for any of us by keeping God's commandments to earn his acceptance. We've all broken God's commandments. We need to turn from our sin and find forgiveness in Jesus Christ. That's where we find our our acceptance. But as Christians, there's a sense that we will have a greater closeness, a greater intimacy with God when we are walking in his commandments than when we aren't. Just like if you think of your father or hopefully your kids where they are your kids and you will not cast them out. They are accepted because they are your children. But when they're obeying you, there's going to be that greater intimacy, that greater connection with them than when they're fighting against you. And he's saying, God, I want to be close to you. I'm seeking you. Don't let me wander from your commandments because if I wander from your commandments, I'm going to be far away from you. So don't let me give in to lust. Don't let me give in to anger because I don't want that to create any distance between me and you, which the Bible even says it does. Even when it says, hey, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Don't be harsh with them. Show honor to them. The end of that verse gets you saying, so that your prayers may not be hindered. That God's saying, oh, treat your wife wrong. Don't treat her with honor. Don't treat her, show that her that honor is the weaker vessel. Show understanding to her. Then you've got a problem with me. That's what God's saying. And if closeness with God is what we want above everything, then we're going to say, God, keep me doing what you want me to do. We need to have that similar desire, even We think of David when he gave into the youthful passion of lust and when he committed sin with Bathsheba. What was the worst part about that to him? How it 
kind of messed up his family and he lost a child as a direct result of that. But then you see all kinds of, if you read 2 Samuel, it's like awesome for the first 11 chapters. Then David and Bathsheba happens and then it's just terrible. His sons are, you know, raping their half-sisters, trying to kill their father. I mean, it's, it's crazy. Was that the worst part of the sin of Bathsheba? No, in Psalm 51, which is his confession after that, he says, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right, a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. You see, God, the worst part is, I, I, I don't want to be separated from you. I want to know you. I want to have that joy that comes from being close to you. So forgive me for my sin and change me. That's what he wants the most. We need to have that similar desire. if We're going to play this kind of defense. Now, verse 11 goes on to say, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. How are we going to play this defense? Well, by storing up God's word in our heart. And the classic example of this is Jesus himself when he faced temptation. He faces three temptations from the devil in the wilderness. And every time he responds with scripture, he quotes the book of Deuteronomy to Satan as he resists a temptation. And that's a good example for us to follow. For us to have scripture hidden in our hearts so that when temptation comes, we can answer not with our word or our thoughts, but with God's word. Now, the first step to that, the first step to hiding God's word in our heart is having a consistent pattern of taking in the Bible in our life. A consistent pattern of, of reading the Bible. And I'm trying to rack my brain thinking of all the godly men I've known. Maybe you can think about the godly men that you've known. And I've never known, it's just, you know, you think of like the older seasoned godly men. I, I can't think of one. I've never known one who doesn't have that consistent relationship, that consistent walk in God's word. I, I can't think of one. And if we kind of, hey, I want to be that guy that at his funeral, his life is just shouting the glory of God and, and, and the love of Jesus Christ, we're, we're probably not going to get there unless we have that consistent intake of God's word. Yet so many times at Thrive Accountability or in the counseling office, it's, hey, well, what does it look like with you spending time in God's word? And it's like, yeah, it's not happening. We've got no defense the score is going to get run up against us if we're not taking that first step of being consistently in God's word. That's where we need to start. But it's calling for more than that, saying store it up in, in your heart. It's not just even saying, hey, store it up in your mind. And it's certainly saying, hey, get deeper than just kind of, hey, I'm the Bible trivia king. That's not necessarily going to do you any good in, in godliness. It's saying, hey, store it up in your heart. Do more. I recently had a check that I, took me a while to get around to the bank to uh, deposit it. And by the time I deposited it, there was a problem. The person had closed their bank account. So I, I didn't get that money. Because I, I had the check, but I didn't go and I uh, deposited it. I didn't take it to the bank. But here's the thing. We, we've got to take what we know about the Bible and what we get from reading God's word. And we've got to go, it's like we've got to go put it in the bank. Or we've got to go invest it in our heart. Well, what's that going to look like? Let's get more in depth on, hey, what's it going to look like to store God's word in our heart as we keep on going through the psalm? And if you just quickly look at the rest of it with me, starting in verse 12, you know, he starts praising God. Blessed are you, O Lord. And in verse 13, he talks about how he can't stop talking about God's word. He talks about how he delights 
in God's word and meditates on his precepts and fixes his eyes on God's ways, how he can't forget God's word. And one word that jumps out, the word that's used twice there is delight. And that sets the tone for the whole of those last five verses. Everything just oozes with this, man, I love God's word. I enjoy it so much down to my soul, in my heart. That's the second thing we need to step up. Number two, step up your delight. Step up your delight. The, the psalmist here is gushing with delight for God's word. And let's be real, that doesn't sound very manly. Like, oh man, I just love God's word. And I just delight in it. I can't stop thinking about it. That doesn't sound very like, ooh, rah, rah. You know, I'm strong. Well, we don't know who wrote this psalm, but probably the best bet is it's King David. And okay, even if he didn't write this song, we could look at some of the other things that he wrote. Like in Psalm 19, where he talks about, man, your, your word is better than the drippings of the honeycomb. It's, it's sweeter than gold, where he says things like that. Or we could go to Psalm 63, where he says things, God, I, I long for you. I, I meditate on you in the night. I have a passion for you. My flesh faints for you. I mean, that doesn't sound very manly. Well, we could have, you know, had like a man night tonight and done a bunch of like manly things and had like an arm wrestling competition and chopped wood and, and done all these other things and find out, hey, who's the manliest guy in the room? But I, this is what I can guarantee. Whoever the manliest guy in the room is, we would lose in a man competition to King David. I mean, think about David taking on Goliath. Here's, he's like this young guy and there's all these grown men that are cowering in fear at Goliath. And David steps up and says, I'll take him on. I mean, that took guts. David, he, he, defend the sheep. I'll, I'll kill a lion if it's coming after sheep. Any of us killed a lion with our bare hands or with a stick recently? Yeah, I didn't think so. We're like, yeah, I'll do it with my shotgun. Well, David didn't have a shotgun. He, he, this, he was a man's man. But he's not afraid to say, man, I love God's word. I need God's word. My flesh will faint if I don't have God and his word in my life. He sets an example, really, for us. And in verse 12, we start to see this delight. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. The idea here is, God, you're so amazing. I want to be like you. We emulate what we admire. I mean, let's rewind the tape 20 years. It wasn't the Golden State Warriors. It was the Chicago Bulls. And the song was, If I Could Be Like Mike. Because here's this great basketball player, man, if I could be like him, because well, we admire his ability and what he's able to accomplish so much. Well, it's the idea of, man, I look at God and I see someone that's happy, someone that is righteous, someone that is stable and, and steady. I want all of those things that God is holy. I want that in my life. So God, teach me your statutes because I want to be just like you. And then in verse 13, with my lips, I declare all the rules of your mouth. The idea is, man, I, I love God's word so much, I can't help but talk about it. It's just going to come out of me. And one thing we talk about at Thrive, rightly so, is, hey, hey men, God wants us to be the, the spiritual leader in the home. He wants you to lead your wife spiritually. He wants you to leave, lead your kids spiritually. That, that is not going to happen unless you delight in God's word. Because when you delight in God's word, that's just going to be the natural step. When, when there's something going on between you and God and you're listening to sermons and thinking about how it applies to your life or you're reading your Bible and, and, and praying through it and God's shaping you through it, then you've got something to share 
Where if that's not going on, any attempt to lead your wife or lead your kids, man, it's going to feel forced because you're trying to do with them something that's not going on with you. Where when it's, man, I delight in God, I delight in his word, boom, I I can't stop talking about it. It's natural then, or at least more natural, still going to take some some work and some effort to talk to my wife about God's word, to to talk about it with my kids. And, And we're driven then by what we see in verse 14, in the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. Now, I don't need to explain what it means to delight in riches. We've all got that. We all know, hey, it's nice to have a lot of money, to be able to do nice things, buy nice things. That is great. And we're all spending majority of our lives working to bring home that paycheck so we can have money. And there's obviously, that's good that we're working hard. But here's the thing. Would you rather be rich or would you rather be godly? If it came down to I could have one or, or the other, which would it be for you? I mean, let's think about the lifestyles of the rich and the famous. I mean, every time they show up in the news or in magazines, it's just like, man, everything's awesome. Life just couldn't possibly be better for these rich, famous people. Is that the vibe you get from what you see on TV, what you see in the magazines, in the checkout stand, in the grocery store? No. It seems like, man, there is problems all the time. Because no matter how rich they are, their money can't redeem them, can't rescue them from the consequences and the lifestyle of their own sin. But think about the lives of the godly. Yeah, they're probably not on the news. But man, they've got something that money can't buy. They've got character. They've got peace. They've got stability. That should be our, our, our goal. And we all know what it's like to go out and work for riches. Because even that's God's design. Hey, the diligent, he's the one that's going to get riches. But God is saying, hey, what's even more important than that is you investing in your soul. You investing in your character. And it's right that we're all, you know, investing in our portfolios and thinking about that day of retirement or something in the future. Well, God wants us thinking, hey, invest in your soul for the day of your ultimate retirement. For that day when everybody's going to sit around and talk about your life and how you lived. Invest in that day. Because when all the riches are gone, that's what's going to be most important. Now, still, let's try to get a little more practical of, hey, well, what does this look like? We talked about, hey, it's like you got to take it to the bank and, and, and deposit it. What, what would that practically look like in your life? Well, look at verse 15. It says, I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. Now, meditate, the idea isn't, hey, get your Bible, sit crisscross applesauce and go home. You know, that, that's not biblical meditation. Even the, the, the word in, in the Hebrew kind of has this idea of like muttering, like, like you're talking to yourself under, under your breath. The best picture I can think of to, to describe it is the, 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 ch- the cow chewing its cud. You know, the cow goes out and grazes, 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 and then finds a nice comfortable spot and cows have like four stomachs or whatever and they, I know it's a little gross, but they, they bring some of it kind of like back into their mouth and they kind of chew on it a little more. That's the idea of meditating on God's word. That you go and you you graze in God's word, but then you go and, okay, I'm going to bring some back up into my mind. And I'm going to chew on whatever it was that I heard or whatever it was that I read. I'm going to chew on that a a little bit more. That's the idea. Fix, I'm going to fix my eyes on your ways. This idea that God's word is going to make a difference in me. I'm going to process it. It's going to go just, not just in one ear, out the other, or kind of through my eyes and then forget about it but it's going to go down into my heart. I want you even just to think about you spending time, hopefully in God's word every day, 
You've got to have something that you can walk away from that time with. If I were to ask you, as your quiet time is ending, or your, your time in God's word, or even listening to a sermon, say, hey, what'd you get out of that? You should be able to say something. You should be able to say, yeah, I read this, and, and this is really what, you know, instead of not, not just what, oh, this is what happened today, I read about Ezra and all this stuff that was going on. No, today I read about Ezra, and it made me think about this in my life. You should have something like that every time you interact with God's word, something that you're going to take and, and run with. But not only should you have that, hey, one minute after you hear a sermon or uh, you, your quiet time ends, what about five hours later? Can I say, hey, what did you read in God's word today? And, and what, what difference is that going to make in your life? What, what did you get out of that today? And that's where we might even need to do some practical things to, you know, like it says, I will fix my eyes on your ways. Maybe as you wrap up your quiet time every day, or as you listen to sermon, you need to write down a couple of things. This is what I'm going to think about today as a result of this. I'm going to have it on my phone, or I'm going to put it on a card in my pocket, and I'm going to, I'm going to chew on this throughout today. I'm done grazing now, but man, when I'm at work later, when I'm, when I'm driving home, I'm, I'm going to chew more on what God spoke to me through his word. I'm going to chew more on what does that mean for my life? How, how did what I just heard in that sermon going to apply to my relationship with my wife, with my kids? I'm going to chew on that more. I'm going to take it to the bank of my heart. I'm going to fix my eyes on it. This is where the ladies are probably better, but I'm going to put it on a sticky note on my mirror, on my dashboard. I'm going to make sure I can't forget what I've learned. And that's even how it ends there. Verse 16, I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. And even as we think about what it would mean to store up God's word in our heart, the, the simple practice of memorizing scripture, which I guarantee you, yes, yeah, some of you, you might be brilliant. Memorizing comes easy. Some of you, it might be a little bit of work, but I guarantee you, you can. If I said, hey, over the next month, you're going to get $100 for every verse you memorize. You'd probably memorize some verses. You would be motivated to do it. I, I, I'm confident you all could. Well, God's saying, hey, store up God's word in your heart. And if you're like, hey, where, where do I start? And this is one of the things we'll talk about in our discussion groups. Start with, okay, what are those youthful temptations? What are those temptations that I face? And I want to go search God's word. Where does God speak about those temptations. And even if I was just to have a few verses that I memorized, even if it was just two or three verses for those, you know, two or three top temptations in your life, if you were to store up God's word in your heart, how much would that step up your defense? If as you were walking around your house, you remembered, hey, the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. And next time you're tempted to raise your voice at your wife or make some snide comment to her, you can tell yourself, hey, no, the anger, no matter how justified I feel right now, the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. My anger is not going to produce what God wants in this situation. I've stored up God's word in my heart. Now, even that idea of I will not forget your word, it's not just thinking, hey, I'm going to work so hard to, to memorize. It's still kind of that idea of delight, that I love God's word so much, I, I can't forget it. I talked to you, some of you about how uh, back in April, I was able to go to the Masters Golf Tournament with, with my dad. And I can say, I will not forget that day. Why? Because I went and I wrote it all down and I, you know, watched the tape over and over again to memorize everything that happened. No, just because it was so special. I, there's no way I can forget it. I'm going to always remember the way the sun hit the pines as the sun was coming up. I remember seeing Jack Nicholas and Gary Player hit ceremonial 
tee shots and all the other things that I saw happen and being able to share that with my dad. He's saying, that's how I feel about God's word. It's so special and God's doing so much in my life as I'm storing it up in my heart, as I'm meditating on it, as God is changing me through his word, there's no way I'm gonna be able to forget it. That, that should be the goal for all of us. Think about that day I won't forget with my dad. Part of it, that was what was special about that day was to share that with him. Because I know that, hey, on average, someday he's probably gonna get there first before me. I'm gonna be at his funeral. One thing that makes me look forward to that day is the, the godly testimony that my dad has had and the impact that he's made for Christ. We'll make, that'll be a sad day, but that's something that will be special. But tonight I want us thinking beyond that, even for those that are godly that have gone before us, thinking to that day for us, when, when we're the ones in the casket, when people are coming up and filling up a building to reflect on our lives. What is the story that is going to be told? I hope it's one of godliness. I hope it's a life that points to Jesus Christ. We're not going to get there unless we've got a solid relationship with God's word, unless we're stepping up our defense to fight against sin and we're using God's weapon to do that fighting. Unless we're stepping up our delight where we realize, hey, I, I love what God teaches me through this book and I can't get enough of it. That's where we want to be. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for your direction. God, and I pray that you just even give us all that desire to be godly. God, that we would have that desire to, God, I want to be like you. That You're so awesome and holy and, and righteous and good and loving. God, I want all those attributes. So show me your ways. God, help us to defend ourselves against all the temptation that's thrown at us all the time. And, and please, God, may we delight in your word. And in a room full of men, God, may we not be afraid to say that we, we long for your word. We meditate on your, your precepts. We can't forget all the things that you have taught us because they've been so impactful because you've moved us so much. And God, help us even just to grow in practically hiding your word in our heart. That as we interact with your word, it wouldn't be something that we just kind of do so casually and then forget about, that we would chew on it, that we would think about it. God, so we lift this all up to you. Bless our time of conversation now in Jesus' name, amen. So what we're gonna do tonight, we just got the men, so a smaller group than everybody. So what we're gonna do is we're just gonna gather up at tables. So I'd encourage you to find your uh, small group from Thrive. And if you're new, don't have a small group, come talk to me. I can help get you set up. Or if your small group's like, really small. Just kind of jump in with another group and we'll just do it right here at the tables in this room and all come up and close us out a little after, just a couple minutes after eight o'clock. All right, so there's, there's four questions there on the back of that sheet. Uh, hopefully you guys can have some good discussion about that and uh, all come up and wrap us up just a little after eight o'clock.